0: Hello, and welcome to the Wicked Library. That's right, folks. This is a bonus episode. Best of Season 3, episode number 304, by our good friend Gary A. Bronbeck. And we wanted to put this out here for a couple of reasons. First of all, we wanted to tell Gary, we're thinking about you and sending some love your way. Gary's going through a rough spot right now, he's in the hospital recovering. And we thought, what better way to send some good energy his way than to get this story out there and get a bunch of people listening to it and appreciating his work. If you'd like more information on Gary and his work, if you'd like to send him a hello and send him some warm wishes, you can find information over at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash B304. That's B as in boy 304 over at thewickedlibrary.com. Just click on Gary's picture and you will find a page that we built for him with links to all his work, his Amazon page, his Twitter, his Facebook. Say hello to Gary. Let him know you're thinking about him. This story comes from season three. It was read by Nelson W. Piles back when he was hosting the show. Uh, This is one of the episodes that I remember very fondly. It was one that I was a big fan of when I was just a fan of the show before I stepped into the hosting and producing role. So our way of saying that we're thinking about you and to remind everybody to think about Gary, always something there to remind me by Gary A. Bronbeck as read by Nelson W. Piles. Hope you enjoy. Society 13
1: Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature... Get out. Get out now of the getting's good. <laughs> Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I'm your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yet. Hold on to yourselves, boys and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time. At the Wicked Library. <laughs> Always something there to remind me. Footfalls echo in the memory, down the passage which we did not take, towards the door we never opened. T.S. Eliot, East Coker. The carpeting's the wrong color. Cindy Harris looked away from the television and said, What? Her husband, Randy, pointed to the television. "'The carpeting's supposed to be light blue. Look at it. It's green, for Christ's sakes.' "'So, what's the big deal?' Randy looked at her with that impatient, condescending expression that told Cindy he expected her to already know the answer. That expression was one of the few things about her husband that Cindy genuinely disliked. She could feel his defensiveness rising and wondered if he'd been forgetting to take his Zoloft off lately.' The big deal, he said, is that I remember the way my folks argued about the color. Dad wanted green, but Mom insisted on light blue, and like every other time they had an argument, Mom won out. Cindy watched him fiddle with the controls on the remote, then flip down the little door at the bottom of the set and start messing with the controls there. Sighing, Cindy said... Maybe something went wrong with the transfer. Come on, Randy. Those home movies are pretty old, you know. Maybe we waited too long to have them put on DVD. That old eight-millimeter film stock—maybe it started to go bad, and this was the best they could do. Most of them had turned out fine until now. Randy stopped fiddling with the controls, looked at the picture once more, then turned toward her. His face losing color. What is it? Asked Cindy. I, uh... Nothing. Nothing. He rose to his feet, walked across the room, and began heading upstairs. I gotta make a call. Back in a minute. Hold on, said Cindy, grabbing a hold of his elbow. What's wrong, honey? This isn't worth getting upset about. He tried smiling at her, but didn't quite pull it off. I I just remembered something... I mean, I think I remembered something plan on letting me in on it? His face softened, but remained slightly pale. Please, let me make the call, and then I promise I'll tell you all about it. Kissing her cheek, he gently pulled her hand from his elbow and went up to his office, closing the door behind him. Putting her impatience on hold, Cindy went back to the sofa, sat down, and turned up the volume. Randy never talked much about his childhood, Something that annoyed Cindy at times but which she respected nonetheless. So maybe she could use this as a chance to get a glimpse of him as a child. She watched for several minutes as Lawrence, Randy's father, finished setting up a plastic racing track in the middle of the room with a running and very funny commentary. Plugged in the power supply and then put a small HO scale car on the track and gave it a test run. Think you'll like it? asked Lawrence. Oh, he'll just flip, said the voice of Virginia, Randy's mother, who was holding the camera. Lawrence grinned, obviously proud of himself for assembled without bloodshed, and then came the sound of a door opening. Virginia whipped around with the camera, image blurring for a moment, and came to a stop at the face of a little boy who looked about nine years old. His face was flushed from the cold outside, and he was having trouble unwrapping the heavy wool scarf from around his neck, "'What's going on?' asked the little boy Randy, had once been. "'How come Daddy's home from work so early?' "'He finished with the scarf, hung it on the hall tree by the door, "'and then pulled down his hood to reveal his face, "'his bangs a little too long and a little too shaggy. "'Daddy's got an early Christmas present for you.' "'The little boy stared at the camera for a few moments,' and then his face came alive with realization and a smile that could have been seen for miles in the dark. The race car set came? And with the speed and agility that is the special province of nine-year-old boys, rocketed past the camera and into the living room, where his shouts of delight filled the air. Turn it off, said Randy from behind her. Cindy turned smiling and waved him away. Oh, get over yourself. Why didn't you ever tell me you were into racing when you were a kid? God, Randy, you were adorable. He said nothing as he reached down, pulled the remote from her hand, and turned off the DVD player. The screen turned a bright shade of blue when the picture vanished. Cindy turned all the way around, kneeling on the sofa so she could better face him. What did you do that for? Something's wrong. I knew that already. Did you make your call? Yes. Going to let me in on it now? Randy nodded, came around, and sat down beside her. Cindy readjusted her position and took hold of his hand. Randy said, Just listen to me for a minute, okay? Don't... Don't say anything or ask any questions. Just listen. Feeling anxious. God, his face was so pale... Cindy nodded her agreement. Randy hit the remote, returning to the racetrack scene, then hit the pause button and pointed to the screen. "'I called Mom just to make sure,' he said. "'The carpeting was light blue, not green like this. But that's not... not why I called her.' "'Cindy, look at me. How long have you known me? Ten years, right?' We've been married for six years, and by the way, I've loved every minute of it, if I haven't told you lately. The thing is, ha- have I ever struck you with someone who's absent-minded or forgetful? No. Have you ever thought of me as being unstable in any way, the antidepressant medication aside, I mean? Of course not. He stared at her with an intensity that made Cindy uncomfortable. He hasn't been taking his meds, she thought. That has to be it. He started the DVD once again. Look at the screen, Cindy. Tell me what you see. Randy, you're making me nervous. Please. Okay, babe, okay. She faced the television. I see you and your dad playing with an electric racing set on the floor of your folks' old living room. Look closer. It wasn't until the little boy on the screen ran over to hug his mother, forcing her to set down the still-running camera that Cindy realized what was wrong. What the? See it now, do you? Asked Randy. She did. In the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, a small readout giving the time and the date. 3.42 p.m. 12.16.68 68 That's from a video camera, she said, looking at him. Did they even have video cameras in 1968? It doesn't matter, said Randy. We never owned anything like that when I was a kid. In 1968, Dad was in the middle of a seven-month layoff from the plant. We had a very inexpensive Christmas that year. It was nice. Mom had been saving money so we'd have a good dinner, but as far as presents went... I got a couple of Aurora Monster model kits and some new shoes. That's it. Cindy looked back at the scene on the television, then to her husband once again. Okay, maybe I'm a little slow here today, baby, but are you telling me... That we didn't own a home movie camera? Video cameras weren't available to the public, and what you're looking at... He pointed at the happy scene unfolding in all its glory. Never happened. Yeah, I wanted an HO race set, but that was out of the question. He looked back at the screen, and when he spoke again, his voice quavered. This never happened, Cindy. That's why I called Mom. I wanted to make sure I wasn't misremembering things. I wasn't. The carpeting was light blue. We never owned a home movie camera. And I never got a racing set. He rubbed his eyes and shook his head. The thing is, while I was growing up, I used to pretend that I did get one, you know? I mean, you do that when you're a kid. You imagine things that didn't happen actually did. Cindy nodded. I did that all the time. I still do. Randy smiled at her, touching her cheek. When I used to play that scene out in my head, it looked just like that. He nodded toward the television. Except the carpeting was the right color, asked Cindy. Bingo. For a minute, they both sat watching silently as the scene played out, culminating in Randy beating the pants off his father in the big championship race. The scene quickly blacked out, and a notice reading, End of Tape, appeared in the middle of the screen. Randy stopped the DVD player once again and began rummaging around on the coffee table. "'What are you looking for?' asked Cindy. "'The invoice, the list that came with the discs. "'I put it on my desk. Hang on.' She went to her office and retrieved the paperwork and came back to find Randy on the floor with all the discs spread out in front of him, still in their protective sleeves, thank God. Holding up the papers, Cindy asked, what are we looking for? Randy smiled at her. You know, you probably don't notice how you always do that. Do what? That we business. Five minutes ago this was my problem. Then I tell you about it and suddenly it's our problem. Not me, but we. Don't be silly, baby. Of course it's our problem. What bothers you bothers me. He blew her a kiss, then pointed with his thumb at the television. This is disc three. What's the list say is on it? Cindy found the invoice for number three and read aloud. Disc three. Transfers of home movies, reels one to five. Labeled prom, Cindy's college graduation, first day on the job, mom and dad's 40th anniversary party, and our wedding rehearsal. She lowered the paper and stared at her husband. They mislabeled, that's all. Did they? Randy picked up the remote, pressed previous, and a moment later the screen showed Cindy, ten years younger and damn near in tears, receive her college diploma. Then he hit the next button not once but twice, and there was Cindy laughing and waving at the camera as her mother videotaped her walking into the high school on her first day as a newest history teacher. Randy then hit previous once, and there was his father setting up the HO track in the middle of the living room that had the wrong color. Both Cindy and Randy started. The living room that now had the correct light blue color of carboning. Randy's hand began shaking. Jesus Christ, honey, what the hell's going on? He looked at her with an expression of confusion and helplessness that damn near broke her in half. This time it was Cindy who turned off the disc, but she also ejected the damn thing and turned off the player. I don't know, baby, but don't... Don't let it get to you like this, okay? Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. Even to her own ears it sounded like a desperate, empty promise. Something to say to make it all go away for right now. Randy was having none of it. He pointed to the discs spread out in front of him. "'There are eight discs here, Cindy. Eight. We were charged for seven. He picked up the eighth disc. Both the protective sleeve and label on the disc were blank. "'Randy, you need to calm down, baby, okay? I'll tell you what. Let's get something to eat. Let's go out for a bit, and then we'll come back and we'll watch all of these from start to finish, okay?' Maybe one of us will see something that, that'll help us figure out how, how, how an imagined memory of something that never happened could wind up on these things? She couldn't think of anything to say. Just blurting it out like that made it sound absurd. Okay, she said. Screw it then. Come on. Sit down next to me and let's watch it again. Come on. She sat on the sofa and patted the spot next to her. Come on. Let's do this, you and me. He sat down beside her and took hold of her hand. And Cindy started the disc once more. They watched Cindy receive her diploma, and then watched as she walked into her first day as a history teacher. The racetrack film was gone. Silently, anxiously, they started with the first disc and worked their way through all of the first seven. There was nothing on any of the disks that wasn't supposed to be there, which left only the eighth unmarked disk. Jesus, said Randy, looking at it as Cindy slipped it from its sleeve. Did we imagine it? Baby, I've never believed in shared hallucinations or whatever it is they're called. She examined the last disk under the light, as if she expected to find some kind of ancient sigil hidden in the reflection. Looking up at her husband, she tried to smile and almost made it. I'm game if you are. Randy silently nodded his head, looking for all the world like a prisoner who had just been told the hour of his execution was fast approaching. Cindy slipped a disc into the player and sat very close to her husband as she hit the play button. The first sequence was the missing racetrack film, which the two of them watched as if it were the most natural thing in the world, as if it were something from the past that Randy had shared with her many times over. At one point they even both laughed at something that Randy's father said as he was assembling the set. Then came the film of Randy getting ready for his first Cub Scout meeting. I don't remember this, he said to her, gripping her hand tighter. But you were a Cub Scout, right? No. Oh, God. And they watched. They watched as Randy graduated all the way to Eagle Scout. They watched as Randy was lifted onto the shoulders of his football teammates after he'd tackled the quarterback of the opposing team, preventing the touchdown that would have lost Randy's team, the state championship. He'd never participated in sports much to his father's disappointment. They watched as Randy readied himself for his high school prom, to which he did not go because his father had died the previous week. They watched as Randy and his parents moved his belongings into his college dorm room. He'd done this alone. And they watched as Randy's parents embraced both he and Cindy at their wedding. Looks like it would have been a nice life he whispered. Cindy looked at him. "'What's wrong with the one you have now?' He turned toward her. "'Nothing, honey, nothing at all. I love you. You know that, right?' "'Of course I do.' He looked back at the screen. "'This is the past I wish I'd have had. Look at all this. It's all so interesting.' So happy and exciting. There's nothing wrong with the life you've had. It's been a good life. It's still a good life, baby. He shook his head. Look at me, Cindy. I'm, I'm a dull little man, and I know it, okay? I don't have any great sports stories to share with the guys I work with. I don't have any great adventures to impress people with, and I sure as hell aren't the most exciting man you could have picked for a husband. I used to resent the hell out of that, you know? I hated Dad for dying like he did and leaving me to take care of Mom and the house. I started college three years late because I had to get a job at the plant to help pay for everything. God, I resented it. I resented not having that life, the one on the screen. I used to imagine when I was really angry. I mean, really, really angry. I used to imagine that... His words cut off when he looked back at the screen. It was a film of a woman giving birth to a child that was obviously dead. The woman insisted on holding the body, and as the camera came in for a close-up, Cindy saw that it was Randy's mother. A moment of blackness, and then came the image of a teenage Randy, looking a decade older than his years, stabbing his parents in their sleep their blood splattering the walls with every plunge of the knife. Another moment of blackness and there was Randy, in his twenties but looking much older, tying a naked and severely beaten woman to a wooden chair. The woman whimpered and screamed and begged him to stop, but Randy ignored her pleas as he turned away and began selecting tools from a table. A final moment of blackness. And there was Randy, as he was now, sitting beside Cindy as she was. The two of them staring at a screen that showed them sitting on a sofa facing a television screen that showed the two of them facing a television screen. Randy sat forward and buried his head in his hands. Oh, God, Cindy, the, the thoughts I had when I was that angry... That's why I started seeing a psychiatrist. Remember that I had to cancel our third date because I'd forgotten about the appointment? I thought you were just trying to let me down easy, she said. She only now realized that she'd moved away from him, that the last series of images had turned her stomach. How could this Randy, this man she loved, ever harbor thoughts so repulsive and violence. Good God, did she know him at all? He looked up and saw the expression on her face, saw that she'd moved away from him, and his face went blank. Just so you know, the girl in the chair was Tammy Wilson who was the only girlfriend I had during college. She'd cheated on me with at least three different guys, all of them jocks. He looked at the screen once more. I won't lie to you, Cindy. Thinking about doing that to her... It helped. I'm not proud of those thoughts, but I can't very well deny having them. Especially now, can I? And sometimes, honey, when you really disappoint me, I think about doing the same things to you. And it makes me happy. It makes me feel good. She pulled the remote from his hand and turned off the disc, which then ejected, pulled from the player, and snapped in two. There, she said to the empty sofa, and then felt herself starting to cry. She quickly got a hold of herself, sat down, pulled in a deep breath, and fingered the jagged scar that ran from her left temple to the side of her mouth, a souvenir from her own father one of many that she carried all over her body. God damn it! She'd almost made it work this time. Almost had the perfect husband, the perfect marriage, but Daddy's influence always had a way of creeping back, one way or another. She rubbed at the burn scars around her wrists. Scars now faded with age, but still pink enough to remind her of the ropes, the chair, of Daddy's Toolkit. She looked at the stack of DVDs with the transferred home movies of families she'd never met and would never know, and decided that she'd start looking for new memories tomorrow. She was always alone in the lab. That was the best place for someone who looked like her anyway. History teachers with disfigured faces weren't exactly in demand these days, and never had been. There were always dozens, hundreds of home movies people wanted transferred to DVD, so she'd say goodbye to Randy and hope that, tomorrow, she could find some new memories that she could hold on to, ones that Daddy couldn't sneak in and ruin. She turned off the television set and for a few moments just knelt there, staring at the slightly distorted reflection of her face. "'I'll miss you, Randy.' "'She whispered. "'You were the best one yet!' "'She placed her hand against the screen, "'imagining that the reflected hand was not hers, "'but that of a gentle and compassionate man "'who was reaching out through the glass "'to take hold of hers "'and whisper that she was beautiful, "'the most beautiful woman in the world. "'And oh, how he would love her "'forever!' And that was Gary Bronbeck's. Always Something There to Remind Me. You can find that story in particular in Postmortem Press's Fear the Abyss. And he's featured among other authors, such as Harlan Ellison, Tim Wagner, Lucy Snyder, Jen Roberts, Jessica McHugh, Paul, I just dropped a name, there's a loud thud to follow, Anderson, C. Brian Brown, and yours truly. Gary. Sorry, Paul. I'm making a theme song for you, Paul. Seriously. Uh, Gary has work appearing in the following anthologies Eulogies 2, Fear the Reaper, Barbers and Beauties, and Tales of Jack the Ripper. He has a new collection called Rose of Sharon and Other Stories, and that is going to be due out in late November from Creative Guy Publishing. Apex will be publishing the first volume in The Cracked and Broken Path. And that is early in 2014. I also did mention the novel Mr. Hands before. You gotta, if you've, uh, this is your first exposure to Gary's work. Um, there's a ton of stuff out there for you, man. Stuff is great. If you can find Five Strokes to Midnight, that is, uh, that is the one I'm currently working on. And man, the guy just does not, the guy does not disappoint. He kicks ass. Gary, thank you very much for letting me read your story. Wonderful story. Fantastic. Just loved it. Uh, One more plug or three here. Uh, My friend Greg, photographer extraordinaire, co-runs a website called mellowineandsassyspirits.com. It is not horror. It is uh, light commentary. And uh, he does it with his friend Audrey. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. I give him a plug because he is my pal, and he took really awesome pictures for my novel and uh, and other stuff, and his picture is actually on the coffee mug. If you've seen the All Demons Are Dicks ad, yeah, Greg took that. And that is mellowwineandsassyspirits.com, and wine is spelled W-H-I-N-E. Yeah, they're clever like that, aren't they? Anyway, uh, again, Gary, thank you so very much. I appreciate your time and your talent. Thank you so much for letting me read one of your works. And on behalf of Gary Brodbeck and Maddie Von Stark, until next time, maybe leave the lights on. This is Nelson W. Piles. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the show coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at roadcom which is R O D E.com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes can be found at thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Don't forget to rate and review the show. <laughs>